this is great. This is how it is here all year round. I go, no, <laughs> we're having a heat wave. Not <laughs> uh, really. <laughs> this is not the way it is all year round. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's the reputation California has. Yeah, no, for sure. That we have no weather, that it never gets cold, and it doesn't rain. Silly song, it never rains in California. Bull. <laughs> I have some friends that uh, moved down to Cal Southern California in the last few years, and that's for always the first thing I ask. Is so, so it's nice and sunny down there. And I think they lie to me because they tell me it always is, and I don't believe them. But, you know, they, they're trying to make me feel bad for my, my cold or freaking rainy weather. <laughs> and it's funny because. We get weather from Oregon. <laughs> we get weather from, you know, goes from Canada and comes all the way down to Mexico. So we get weather from there. So it's like, you are you really are lying because <laughs> we get our <laughs> rainstorms from there. <laughs> and uh, we, act, we, no, we get hail because we can be in the 30s. Yeah. And... We we there's uh, uh there's I lived in L A when it snow fell on the ground and melted as soon as it hit the ground but we had snow <laughs> so just because you're in California it doesn't mean it's warm <laughs> that's how you spot the tourists though right they show up in their tank tops and oh yeah and burn. Uh, oh I'll never forget this I was at a convention in um. I think it was, was it, it was just, yeah, I was still in San, uh, San Fernando Valley, but I went to the hotel where the convention was, because it's more fun to stay at the same hotel when the convention's there, even if you're at, at, at home, and uh, I, <laughs> mine, my room looked over the pool, and it was raining, it was a thunder and lightning storm, and these people were in the pool. I'm like, you know, water's a conductor of lightning. <laughs> I mean, maybe they don't get that many opportunities to swim in a pool, so maybe they just, you know, took the risk. I thought that was the most insane thing yeah, I'd ever great. seen. I mean, it was it wasn't just like one family; were several people in the pool, and I mean, it was lightning and thunder and pouring rain and they're in the pool what fun is that being in the pool in that kind of weather <laughs> well there is something kind of refreshing we've done that when we were on holiday as a family where we were in a sudden downpour where the rain was bouncing six feet off the swimming pool and it wasn't lightning so that was that was somewhat safe but it was it was actually a, a pretty cool experience to be in a pool with that much just hammering down rain it was yeah it was a uh, it was an experience for sure. But you wouldn't go in a pool with it lightning and thundering. No, no, no Because I mean, that, that is the conductor. I, I mean, it yeah. attracts the lightning. <laughs> no, I'd never do that. I said that to um, somebody when we I I met up with them at dinner after I saw it. I said, "They're crazy. It's a conductor. It it attracts the lightning." Uh, you know, you go in a car with rubber tires, that that chases it away, that protects you. But water, it brings it. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, I didn't know that. Doesn't anybody remember 
high school science. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> we, I play a lot of golf. If you see lightning, you don't hold those golf clubs. You, you know the rules, right? Go. Yeah, and another conductor. Yeah, and uh, steel or aluminum or anything like that, or aluminium, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, <laughs> my brother, born and bred in California, says aluminium. I think it's really funny. That, uh, that is unusual. Uh, he likes British shows. Our family are all into British shows. Oh, can you hear that? Sorry. I can. I can. We're on. A, I'm on a main street. Don't have it. We don't have it that much, but oh, they get so loud. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, My problem. But I just, I think it's really funny. Uh, I think it's funny that people don't know basic science. I mean, I was never... Or just safety measures in general. Oh, just stuff that will stop you from being killed. Yeah. We all know to put our seatbelt on, right? We don't need to be told. But some things people just continue to not do. I'm always shocked in today's day and age when somebody doesn't wear seatbelts. It's like... Well, first of all, I was trained from... Because when I was a little girl, seatbelts had come in about a couple of years before. So my parents, from the time I was old enough not to be in a car seat, put your seatbelts on, first thing out of their mouths as we got in the car. I I just, it was, by the time I was a teenager and I was driving myself, automatically still seatbelt on. And if one of my girlfriends or some of my uh, male friends came into the car and didn't put their seatbelt on. I go, the car's not starting till you put your seatbelt on. <laughs> that yeah, I was very well, but it's good because people. It's like one policeman I heard say, I I've never unbelted somebody who died in a car crash. The the people who use their seatbelts don't die. It's a strong statement, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting statement too. Um, it's it's sad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's but now in the twenties, you know, you would think that people would wear their seatbelts. <laughs> it's all it's all in how you how you brought up, right? I mean, my my six year old daughter won't even let me start the car until she's clipped in uh, even if we're just sitting still in the driveway it's daddy don't don't start that car until I'm clipped in that's the way I was trained good job dad yeah <laughs> I think it was I think it was probably mom but you know I'll take the credit okay <laughs> but it yeah yeah I I have to admit uh if I'm just sitting in my car I don't necessarily have my seatbelt on especially if it's in my own carport um <laughs> but but um but yeah, when you when you have children, that, I think it's the first thing you teach them when they, they're old enough not to be in the car seat. Buckle up. Exactly. It's it's good because they do it for the rest of their lives. And you got you've got a child that's protected. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, I know you're an artist. 
when was the first time you realized you wanted to be an artist? It, it, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I've always done art my whole life. Um, going back to being, you know, four or five years old, six years old, making little comics that some of my parents still say. And, you know, in grade school, I was always, I was always the kid that could draw just a little bit better than everyone else. So I was that the kid that could draw. But I always kind of kept it pretty secret. I never really, I never really pushed it growing up. Um, and even all the way up into high school, I, I sort of didn't take any art classes. I was kind of just, I just draw on the side. It was something that was kind of just for me. I always looked at it as like just sort of a, a private thing that I do. And I would have sketchbooks that I would never show anybody. And if, if you were lucky enough, you, you might stumble upon something I'd drawn. But, but all the way up into high school, where I eventually took, I needed an extra credit class and I, I took an art class. Um, and to the point where I had friends I didn't even know I could draw or teachers and, and some family members. And then I took an art class and I actually, my first sketchbook assignment that I had to go home and draw a family member, I actually, I, when I handed it in, I actually got an F and a C me after class. And they, I got my parents phoned in and had to be brought in. And, and basically I had to just either admit that I had traced this drawing and I hadn't, I'd actually sat my dad down in front of me and I'd drawn it and he'd watched me do it. So that was just an, an interesting thing that I've never forgot that even my teacher thought, didn't know I could draw. And so she just accused me that I was cheating. And ever since then, we had a great relationship, and it was uh, that, that class was always fun. But I think she just assumed that I'd gone home and traced this picture of my dad and put it in a sketchbook. So I, I've always remembered that. It's almost, I, I take it as a compliment. Um, but it was just an interesting sort of beginning to that. And I kind of kept that going forward. I, I never really sort of exposed. I never went to art classes. I never, I never, at my university, I was an engineer, so I went to engineering school. And it wasn't until much later in life, I was around 27, 28 years old, when I was living, I moved to England, and I, 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 we were working in a pub, and I decided that I would go to university in England, and I'd go for an illustration degree, and that was the very first time I sort of turned it on, and I, and I put everything I had into that class. So for three years, I got a bachelor's in illustration, I came out the other side with a bunch of new skills and, and just a new love for it. And ever since then, I mean, I, I, since graduating there, I, I came back to live in Oregon and I'm now a full-time engineer at, a, at Intel, but I continuously drive to just better myself in my art. So my art is still for me and it's still kind of private, but I, I'm constantly evolving it, changing it, working digitally, traditionally, just trying to get better. Um, you know, I make children's books for my kids. Um, I enter contests, you know, just something to keep my, my, you know, imagination flowing and keeping the creativity going and pushing myself and my skills. So that's pretty much it. My, my sort of artistic journey is not, not like a lot of others were the sort of that early direction straight into it. Mine just kind of, kind of sat on the back burner, um, my whole life pretty much. So that's interesting. It's very different. So you didn't have like, um, artists that you admired then. I absolutely did. Um, there was there was artists that always kind of lingered throughout. Now, it wasn't necessarily so my first um, admiration was obviously from my my dad was a big fantasy and sci-fi book reader and avid, and so he didn't know it at the time. That, but like when he would get a new book, I would just study the covers and I would go to him to like Powell's bookstore and I would stand in the sci-fi section and I would just look at the book covers and he would always give me a, he'd say, you can have a book, but I'd buy a book, and I would buy the one with the coolest cover. I just wanted the artwork <laughs> just fascinating. 
evolved into knowing who was doing these covers. Um, and then who, I, I kind of have a very small list of my, I just, I feel favorite artists. And when I look at my art that I kind of have evolved into now, it, I take a lot away from those. And like Frank Rosetta was absolutely paramount in my fantasy and my illustration. Like anything he does, I think was just, just amazing. Right. And I have like a small wall in my house where I have, I don't have anything original, but I have like, you know, just, posters and copies of some of my just absolute favorite artists um frank's definitely one of them al williamson was another one and a huge favorite of mine is todd lockwood who does sort of the dungeons and dragons a lot of the uh a lot of the book covers for ari salvatore his his art is just phenomenal um and so that's just like a, a huge inspiration for me yeah I, I always find it very interesting um where how book covers originate um one of the things that I found, it's a really cool story. Um, I'm, I love science fiction, but I'm also a murder mystery fan. And I love Agatha Christie. And in her autobiography, she talks about the um, the architect who was on the dig with her for her husband. He was an artist. He was drawing the kids that were um, running around... Um, emptying the uh the dirt with and and looking for the artifacts and he would draw sketches of them and Agatha who was always a lover of art realized that this was this guy wasn't just somebody who drew buildings this guy is an artist and she had him do the cover of her book um Death on the Nile cuz she really uh he was very quiet. He was very subdued. They didn't get along at first, not because they didn't like each other. It was because he didn't talk. Yeah. He was like a silent uh, person. He She goes, I'd see Max, my husband, and I forgot, I I think it was Raul, the, um, the head of the uh, dig, laughing and having a great old time in the front of the car and me and and Mac are sitting here silent. Not that I'm not <laughs> trying to get him to talk but he's just, it's just nothing is happening. I can't get the man to talk. <laughs> but they became really good friends and uh, like I said she, he, he did the cover for Death on the Nile the, the, on, the, um, on the first edition. So you look up the first edition, you see this architect's only cover, as far as I know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a a cover that was in on millions of books. (laughs) That's an awesome story. That's that's, I I like the ideal. I'd love that kind of similar um, that similar story for myself. I'd love to be able to just find somebody that says, "Hey, I really want you to do this." cover for me I like your style and that's like that's that's the dream right of finding that kind of relationship that's that's cool yeah it was just really she was really smart about that I mean she she loved art she collected art um so I mean it wasn't and and she and she had a good eye so since she saw him drawing those kids she said oh my god this guy's talented (laughs) and he was just doing it because he was waiting for somebody to show up, you know, one of the archaeologists that he was supposed to work with on on something, or Max, uh, her husband, 
sitting, he was just waiting for one of them to show up, so he was, he was sitting there doodling. But his doodles were sketches. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 and that, that's something that's really interesting, too. Um, when I was working at Universal Studios, um, the male who did, oh, what's the name of the character? It's one of the ducks, but it wasn't the Disney ducks. It was the Universal duck, and I can't think of his name. Um. Anyway, he he was very famous. He he did all kinds of cartoons, and um, they had like his workroom in on the lot, and they took a lot of his sketches and they put it in a like a glassed-in room in the tour, and um. Even his scripts that they they handed him a script that they wanted him to animate, there was doodles all over it, and the doodles <laughs> were just sketches of his Woody Woodpecker wasn't it wasn't a duck Woody Woodpecker that okay. I knew it come to me sooner or later I saw that that silly little guy for <laughs> three years, uh, <laughs> but. Um, Woody Woodpecker is a silly guy, not the and not the animator. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he would have a script and and the scripts were like in this glass booth so that the tourists could look at it. And all the scripts had Woody Woodpecker all over them. <laughs> Just little doodles like he's like looking over the <laughs> I'll never forget the, he's like kind of looking over the words like he's like peeking out of a building or something uh, that's hilarious it was is yeah but yeah that's how you can tell someone's talented uh you you if you have an eye and you as you love art and you look at someone's doodles they, they're not doodles a lot of time <laughs> yeah so some people's doodles can be finished finished pieces of artwork, you know, at times, for sure. Oh, yeah. Do you doodle? Oh, I, I, I yeah. Uh, it's my it's my advice. It's something I do constantly. Next to my desk, I've always got sketch pads and notepads. And it doesn't even need to be an art pad, right? It could be something, a, a notebook I've got from work. And with all, with all of a sudden, something flips in your brain, and you've got a pen in your hand, and you just fill that page with doodles. It's very hard to stop yourself from doing it. Yeah, I had a friend when I was a travel agent for many years and I had a friend who, when we were called into a meeting, would be bored because meetings were always the same and the, te the teacher, the the boss, they're, they, they were terrible at meetings. Uh, um, basically, they would repeat from the last meeting exactly what they said. So it's not like we didn't know what they were going to say. Yeah. So he would just be drawing sketches. It was supposed to be a doodle, but basically, it, he's drawing sketches of the boss. Sort of unflattering, uh, <laughs> and and also sketches of like different people around. He had a crush on a girl across the room. He would be drawing a picture of her. Yeah. Um, it was, but pretty much, even though there was supposed to be doodles, it pretty much full on sketches. Because he was bored. Yeah, a bored mind and, and an, an active imagination can be a can be a killer if you uh, if you like doodling and sketching for sure. Yeah, 
just try to do customer service and nobody's calling in and you're a writer. <laughs> you don't know how many short stories. I have horrible handwriting. So they, when people would walk by and they would look at my pad, they wouldn't know whether they were notes or a story. Usually, I hate to tell you, they were mostly stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a notebook for my story writing and there was a notebook for my notes and they write next to each other and I knew which is which. <laughs> and if I were going to, if I was working on the phone, it was my notes for work. If it was nothing was happening, it was the notes for stories, and the notes for stories notebook went home with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No inspiration's gonna strike. Huh? Yeah. Well, it's also like I said, there are times. Oh, the worst time to be a customer service rep is New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve, and you're stuck at work. And no calls are coming in because who the hell's going to call in on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they usually let you go. But it was like, really, like, when are they going to let us go? It's like, uh, it usually stopped, the calls stopped dead around one. And you're like, and you're supposed to work to five or six. We would have, we would play games. <laughs> <laughs> we would play like word games or guessing games or different things. We were so bored. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, 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 I don't know if they do that in other places, but if there's, if there's no one there, there's one supervisor, and he and he finally comes like at two thirty and says, "Okay, you guys can go." Thank God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you never saw people that got ready so fast to get the hell out of there. <laughs> because and I think that time it was like twelve o'clock it stopped dead. Right right at lunchtime and after that dead. And two and a half hours of nothing. It's like you're just you want to pull your hair out. Oh, that's a killer. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, um, but yeah, some people were sketching. I was usually reading a book or writing, um, and then if there was a bunch of us that just didn't want to do that anymore, we would play a game. Like um, we'll say something uh, like a character. And you have to think of the actor who played the character. <laughs> we just asked. <laughs> Anything that good that so we wouldn't sink into dull boredom of, you know, despair. Yeah. No, I can imagine. You gotta keep uh you gotta keep yourselves entertained, right? Yeah. Um so when did you start uh doing the contest thing? When did you start entering contests? Um, so yeah, I, I found I found out about the contest about a year ago because this was my, my winning piece was actually in the fourth quarter I'd entered. Um, it was, interestingly enough, I, I found it through a, a search I was looking through, and, and I'd actually come up through searching for a friend Frazetta and finding out that he was a, a previous judge on this contest, and I, and I sort of read about it, and I, my, my first reaction was. I was actually a little annoyed at myself for not having found it sooner. It's obviously been going on a very long time. And 
any chance of winning it. Um, but when I saw it, it was you know it's a the, it's my favorite genre. It, it's got some you know Jack Kirby was a was a, was a touch in this like he just some amazingly talented illustrators and artists that I that I've admired over the years were judges and judge them would judge people's art and you, it was free to enter and you sent three pieces and they they had to be you know original pieces of art like everything about it just like struck a chord with me and I thought there's no way I'm not doing this and so I I I basically created three just brand new images I gave myself three sort of imagination briefs so I said I'm going to do these. these three pieces are going to have this kind of trend and this many characters and I'm going to try to cross, tick off this many boxes of, of what I can do in my art and I'm going to see how it goes and then that first quarter I actually made finalist um, and that was like a huge uh, just a huge boost to my motivation because um, I just thought if I, if I hear back from this and I, and I don't get any any kind of response or I'm, I'm, I just sort of I get a rejection or I'm nowhere near good enough it, it, it would have definitely given me an indication that I was you know possibly not anywhere near as good as, as I should be or, or think I am and getting that finalist back was just a huge boost to my confidence and I thought okay I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this because uh, making finalist that felt good um, so I'm going to see whether or not I can I get the win So Writers and Illustrators of the Future was your first contest? I thought you had done other contests earlier from what you were saying I had done um, not necessarily contests so there's like talent, I, there was a and they'll judge you um, and so I had, I've won a few of those which are, are different contests for different I think one was for Hulu that I won and one was for uh, the Jungle Cruise movie with The Rock um, so that was that was cool to win something like that which is judged but those being judged for those contests it, it wasn't you weren't being judged by by industry leading artists necessarily it was production studios and or actors or they had sort of a panel of people that would look at this art and say which one do you like so when you win you know you don't win you don't know whether it's just one person that just happened to like your art or whether the panel of you know artists that liked it and so this was the first time I got some real recognition that it was from you know dedicated illustrators that, that looked at my art and said you know hey, it's pretty good so that felt good that's good okay I just wanted to clarify that because it, what you said, I entered contests, plural. So I was like, I thought you were going to talk about different contests and then maybe the last thing would be writers and illustrators of the future. And then you just talked about that. So I was like, so I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> when I, well, when I say contests, I guess I, I mainly, I, yeah, there's been a couple of other small contests that I've entered um, that I don't hear anything back from. But it's not something I've, I, prolifically do and search for it'll be you know all suddenly it'll my my curiosity will get the better of me and, and I'll go and look and I'll, and I'll do a google search and I'll say is anybody and I normally don't find anything um, nothing that's going to sort of strike strike a chord with me um, except for illustrators of the future that one that one just really hit me and said I, I need to do this um, so did you um, you went to LA no that's not until April oh okay so it, it's coming up yes okay and um, and so, uh, who called you? How did you find out? So I got a phone call from Joni, um, and it's it's interesting, right? Because of some of the circumstances from the first quarter I entered, um, the finalists didn't. If you got a if you were a finalist but didn't win, you didn't you didn't get a phone call. So I I didn't know I would get a phone call if I was a finalist. I would, thought I would get a phone call if I was a winner only, and I got a phone call. 
voicemail um, that said, Chris, this is Joni from the Illustrators of the Future. You need to call me back straight away. And I just kind of thought, my heart just jumped. I thought, this, this can only mean one thing. And so I, I phoned her back as soon as I could. And that's when she excitedly told me to, um, that I was a finalist and that I had a, a strong chance of winning. Um, but she'd call me back if, if I was actually a winner. And luckily, uh, you know, a few days later, I got the phone call um, that I had actually won, which was which was pretty awesome. That's really cool. Um, are you looking forward to the trip to LA? Yeah, it should be great. Um, I've 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 looked up what what kind of you know what happens, especially with the gala and the, and the workshops look just like a lot of a lot of fun. Just looks like a, a huge learning experience and a huge brain dump. Just gonna. I'm just going to try to be a big sponge and soak up as much as I can and just enjoy that week um, and then just enjoy the gala. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, they call it the writers and illustrators version of the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> it looks quite grand when you see some of these. So I've watched a few of the past uh, previous years, and it, they do a great job of it. It looks phenomenal. Do you know what story you're writing for yet? I do. So I have submitted my final piece. Oh, I know. I just, I just wondered <laughs> I if, you knew the, if you knew the story. Do you know what um, what edition you're going to be in? Uh, so, yes, it is volume 39 of the Illustrators of the Future um, anthology. So it's, um, it's, I think it's already gone to print, really? Yeah, I understand that. I I haven't been. I was supposed to go twice. Both times something happened. One of the times was the pandemic. Um, <laughs> that was a for sure thing. I was definitely going. But I had a really busy year plan. It went <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of derailed a few people's plans, I reckon. Yeah. 2020 was not a good year. Uh but yeah, that was um, yeah. I was I, I the last thing I got to do. I went to a premiere of a movie. And I was supposed to go to the opening of that movie, and an opening of another movie, and then I was supposed to go to several conventions and the writers and illustrators of the future gala. And well, the only thing I got to do was the premiere of the movie <laughs> at the beginning of the year, which was in early January. <laughs> And then the world shut down. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was actually good for the animals. Yeah. They said that um and and our air and our oceans oceans cleaned up, the air cleaned up. And animals were like freer to do what they wanted to do, no stinky little humans around. <laughs> There's a cool picture of a a, um, a lion pride walking down the center of a road with no cars, no danger at all. <laughs> it was really beautiful. <laughs> it was. I mean, I, I, I remember specifically seeing uh, pictures of a, of a river somewhere in Europe. I don't know whether it was Venice or something, where you could now suddenly see the bottom of this canal, which you haven't been able to for many, many years. It's suddenly the water had cleared up. And so, oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's probably Venice, because that's the most polluted water yeah. in Italy. Um, but, yeah, it's it just, 
it was a horrible time, but it was good for the environment. <laughs> so I guess you should always look yeah. at the, look for the rainbow. <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. It, it, you know, there, there was you know there was definitely some positives I think that came out of the pandemic, and one of them for me was it took my art to a whole different level. Um, I, I found myself having a lot more time in between working from home at my job, which I wasn't used to doing. And so I was working from home and then I have two, you know, small children in the house, but I was able to, you know, disconnect from work at, at a, you know, an appropriate time. And I was able to get my sketch pad out or my iPad out. And I was able to produce work 10 times more than I would normally do. And so 2000 and, you know, 20, 21, 22, I just did 10x the amount of art that I'd done in previous years, and I could see the progression and how much better I got over those years. So it did a lot for my art, for sure, as a, as one positive. That's great. You, you never know. I mean, it. I, I you, you. I read a lot, and I watched a lot. Of, I I got into this horrible rut too, that I was only reading certain books that were comfort books and watching. TV shows and movies that were comfort stuff, yeah. and, I, and it was like after a year, I'm like, I gotta do something. So I decided that I was going to um, read books of authors I'd never heard of, and watch TV shows that I'd never heard of or, ha or never watched, or movies that I thought I'd watched but I never watched. And it was really good for me. It's like, boom! It makes <laughs> I expanded everything. It was really great. <laughs> well, that is cool. I don't know if you, uh, you you know what I mean, but it was just I, it was the only thing I could think of to break out of the rut. <laughs> so you got to try something. You got to sort of try something new every now and then, right? And it does. It, you can. I'm a I'm a creature of comfort as myself. I get in the comfort zone, and I and I don't easily break out of it. If I, for me, it might just be a particular medium of working in art and I know I'm comfortable with the black and black and white brush pen and I can control it really well and why would I try to do something else if I can do that and then suddenly I think to myself just put it down and try color pencil or try watercolor or try some markers and I would do that and I would just I force myself to just transition that like I was going to the barbers and getting a new haircut just take the plunge and just try something new and you know things like that really really help with you know just expanding your ability to just create art. And so I definitely sort of acknowledge that pushing of that comfort zone. It's interesting you say that because I was, um, I kind of gotten sucked into the booktubers thing on YouTube. Um, I did. I went on there because somebody I knew was on there. So I was watching them and then I started looking at other people, because you know how when you watch YouTube, there's other YouTubes that come up next to it, and you know what it really did, what it really showed me, and it's something I've worried about for a long time, you know how, in America at least, young people don't seem to read, you know, it's, 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 it's so frustrating if you're a writer and a reader, uh, that and I, I I experienced it when I was working at the customer service job I was telling you about. Um, I was in my late thirties, going into my forties at that job, and everybody else around me were in their twenties, and I had nothing in common with them yeah. because they they didn't read, 
they uh they didn't watch the kind of shows I watched. Um, they the guy who sat behind me was a gamer. That's all he talked about was computer games. <laughs> Total. I mean, nothing wrong with it, but I did not understand it, and yeah. and none of them read. <laughs> so I got a little sneaky. Uh, during the holiday when um, everybody was exchanging gifts, uh, the guy, the guy, the gamer, I didn't, I just gave him a nice gift. But two of the people, I decided, try to bring them into the world of reading. So the girl in front of me, she was very much into matchmaking. She thought she knew everything. She she was in her early 20s. She did not know everything. Um, and I thought, she's like Emma, and I, the, the book Emma by Jane Austen, so I gave her a double copy, I had several copies, I still do, of Emma, I gave her one, and then the guy next to me was really deeply into baseball, so I gave him Brian's song, which I said, you know, it's not baseball, it's football, but it's all about team sports and friendship, and it's a really, really good book, and I'll tear your heart out. And he goes, okay, I'll look at it. I like football. The interesting thing is, not only did they like those books, they started reading other books. Now, I didn't like the books that they picked, but that's fine. They were that's reading. Point, right? yeah. Yeah, no. I don't care. They were reading. <laughs> it, um was Jane um, Pride and Vampire Slayers or whatever the called this stupid book. I, I personally, I don't mind reimaginings, but I'm sorry. Jane Austen with vampires? Anyway, whatever. <laughs> he was reading. He was reading. I was happy to see yeah. him read a book. Another it's book. Yeah. But, but it's it just I, it was just, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> you know, these are bright kids. Why aren't they reading? Yeah. And, and well, the, that's what Google does, right? You just, if you need to know something, you just look it up nowadays. You don't need to read a book. And that's, I think that's the, the direction people go in. And they forget. They forget how immersive and fun and, and rewarding reading a book can actually be. I do it myself. I, I won't read a book for a year, and then I'll pick, read one, and I'll think, why don't I do this more often? And then I think, oh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of time. But, but yeah, it's very rewarding to, to start and finish a book, for sure. And, and books are, they're fun. Yeah. They, they allow you to be something or go somewhere you'll never go. Exactly. I mean, you, you're not going to be in the 1920s uh, in Paris um, in Hemingway's Movable Feast, you know? I mean, you, with all those expats and all the really brilliant minds of all the different brilliant writers who are in Paris. You're not going to ever be there, but you can pick up a book and go there. Yeah, exactly. I know. I just See, that's the thing. When people see a classic, they're like, oh, how boring. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's a time travel machine. Yeah. That's the way you should look at it. You're t you're going back or forward in time. If it's science fiction, you're going usually forward. If it's a classic, you're going backward. But you're still time traveling. You're seeing the world as different 
than what you know, and that's always a good thing. Oh yeah, for sure. You need. I mean, a lot of people can't afford to travel. You pick up a book. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, so uh, I just wanted to um, know if there was anything coming up that you want the audience to know about. Do you have any artwork that's going to be on display in your area? Because I do have listeners in your area. Um, I I don't have anything, to be honest with you. Like I said, I'm pretty private with it. I, I know that I probably shouldn't be, and I should probably put myself out there a little bit more than I actually do. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything coming out or anything exciting. Um, hopefully that changes in, in, the, in the future, and I can... Uh, can start working on something that necessarily isn't necessarily my own personal projects. Yeah, I understand. Um, do you have any social media in case anybody wants to say hi? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Seabins Illustration. Um, I don't have a, a massive following, but it's it's slowly growing, I think, um, which is nice to see. And that's that's basically other than a other than an online portfolio. That's pretty much the main. Um, platform I go to for, for my artwork. Okay, that's cool. So that way they can go there and say hi. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with me. And Tom, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the, on the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.